Welcome back to the Hybrid Canine Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hubble, and today we are answering questions, of course, from Instagram Live. So if you want to join in on these future sessions, make sure you're following us at Hybrid Canine, and let's get right into it. Our first question comes from Patty McPeckPowers. Awesome handle. I cannot get my dog to come off leash. How? Uh, I'm not entirely sure if I understand the question, but I believe this might have uh, something to do with a recall. I think you're asking, you know, you can't get your dog to come back to you when they're off leash. And we've answered this question a few times. A lot of this is going to come down to making sure that you're not taking, you're not running before you're walking, right? And if your dog is not recalling to you when they're off leash, it's because they haven't properly learned recall. So it means that you need to take a step back. It means that they're not ready to be off leash practicing recall. You need to work on a long line. You need to take steps prior to taking your dog off the leash and expecting them to recall and ensure that on leash at a distance in du in, with duration and around distractions that they can recall on leash. And the reason you're going to work with a long line first is because this is a way where you can create that distance, but then still hold your dog accountable to actually coming back to you. So I would recommend getting a long line. You can get one of these for 10 to $20 on Amazon or really any pet store and work on slowly and incrementally building the distance that you're having your dog recalled you from. And if they're not coming, you know, using the leash to actually hold them accountable to coming all the way back to you. When they get to you, reinforce that with a reward, you know, let them know they did a good job, have a celebration, and then practice again. You're going to want to do this in non-distracting environments first. When you start working and they have a lot of uh, reliability and doing this without a lot of distractions, that's when you can start to increase the level of distractions around Try again, of course, still on leash and continue progressively working up until they're hitting it, you know, 10 times out of 10 realistically and ideally. And then at that point, maybe get a little more bold and practice the off leash stuff in a controlled environment. Let's talk like the house at first and then the backyard. So once you're going back to off leash, you go all the way back to go in terms of your expectations and you start with the least, you know, the, the environment that's going to set them up for the highest likelihood of success. So that's going to be inside your house or garage and a backyard, then maybe a driveway, and then, of course, moving up to more distracting areas. All right. Paul Gilmore asks, what's the first stage of stopping resource guarding? This is a great question because I think resource guarding can be a little bit elusive in terms of understanding where it comes from. So resource guarding is essentially your dog, you know, assuming a possession is, is its, right, and, and being possessive of a certain resource. Sometimes this can be people. Sometimes this can be food or items. So one of the easiest things that you can do is remove the item, right? Remove the dog's, remove that item from the dog's, you know, access, right? And this could look like, you know, of course, not taking a resource when your dog is actively engaging with it. So if your dog is being possessive over something like a bone or food, what you don't want to do is reach down and just take the food, right? That can create more possessiveness over it because it's kind of offensive. You're taking something that they're actively engaging with. But what a lot of people do is they leave toys out, they leave bones out, they leave food out. And these things that inherently should have a lot of value to the dog slowly lose their value because they're always accessible, right? And so removing those from the environment is one going to eliminate the opportunity for your dog to be possessive over the items in general, but is also going to start creating more value in the items so that when you provide the item, it means something, right? And what you'll also want to work on with a dog that is showing resource guarding is also um, having kind of an on and off switch for that, right? So working on an out command or having something to where you can, you know, hold your dog accountable to disengaging from the objects so that you can safely take it from them without having to pry it or take it or create um, a, 
propensity for your dog to develop these resource guarding tendencies. So the first stage of stopping resource guarding is removing these resources that your dog is being possessive over, right? And so, of course, once again, not when they're actively engaging with it, but in the times where they've disengaged and it's just openly available, right? Um, not leaving toys out, not leaving things like these out and accessible for your dog to engage with, at, you know, uh, at any time. All right, I'm going to go into the question box now. So we've got some stuff accumulating in there. All right. My three-year-old uh, Chaitali Verma asks, my three-year-old Great Dane barks every time he goes to the balcony and mostly barks at young kids. Though he's a very friendly dog with kids otherwise, I don't quite understand this. So. Uh, your dog goes out to the balcony, is very friendly, is a friendly dog with kids. So perhaps your dog expects that the kids are going to engage with him and are going to participate, and you know is barking out of demand or demand or demanding attention or something like that, right? It's using what it has, right? It's 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 bark, it's voice, if you will, to get the attention of something that it wants affection or attention from, right? So it's kind of showing this demanding behavior. It doesn't mean that it's a angry bark, right? It it means that it's demanding that attention, right? And so how do you prevent this, right? Well, you can remove your dog's access to the balcony without your supervision. Uh, you can also, if you're out there with your dog and they have a propensity to do that, you know, put a leash on them, give them a correction if they start to bark at kids and just teach them that that's not an appropriate way to engage, right? Um, you can give them a preferred alternative, like another obedience command to do if, when, if and when there's kids coming by, which would probably require you to have a little bit more attention around the environment to kind of be proactive with that. Um, but in terms of understanding it, I mean, I don't know because I haven't seen the exact behavior, but if your dog is generally friendly with kids and kids always come up to your dog and pet them and engage with him, he's likely just demanding that affection, right? He sees kids in his association as like, hey, you know, I'm, I deserve to get pet. I deserve to get attention. You know, why are these kids not looking at me and engaging with me, right? So that could be uh, one, of the, one of the reasons why in terms of just trying to understand where it's coming from. All right. Another question from Sup Climb Surf Max. Great handle. My dog has lost his heel on leash. He won't take food and is too focused on his toy to walk in a heel. Okay, so, you know, very easy solution here. It means that your dog needs to take a step back, right? You need to take a you need to dial it back with your dog and go into way less distracting environments. That means like you need to probably start reworking the heel position and leash walking and things like that, doing drills inside of your home or garage, like a very small contained area where there's really nothing else exciting going on except for to engage with you. Um, it sounds like your dog has go, is going into environments that are too stimulating and putting them over threshold to where it's becoming very hard to focus on the task at hand. And then now the um, association with that task, you know, walking in a le loose leash position and a heel on these walks has just become normal to be pulling or not engaging with you. And so you need to reorient and kind of go through like a mini boot camp, if you will, um, to get your dog back on the right track, which means that you're going to have to kind of dial it back, not go into these highly stimulating environments. That could even be your neighborhood could be too stimulating right now. Dial it back, get, get into the house, get into the garage, the backyard and start back from ground zero and start building your dog's ability and understanding of what the expectation is on the walk. Uh, back from the ground up. And, you know, the reason that they're probably not taking food and are too focused on his toy uh, during the walk is because uh, basically 
they're too distracted and stimulated and you're not, you're not valuable enough. Right. And so your dog's just blowing you off and saying, Hey, I'm more excited by all these other things than I am with what you're asking me to do, which means that you need to remove those things from the environment and be the only thing so that your dog is inherently kind of forced to pay attention to you and, and be in an opportunity in a state where they can actually learn and consume what you're trying to teach them. Here's an interesting question. Freya the Slaya. Have you ever seen a dog no longer recognize another dog after it has been shaved? Um, personally, I've never experienced this or been around enough dogs that get shaved to see if this is something that might happen. But, you know, like anything's possible, right? Um, there's other things to consider. Maybe, maybe one dog, maybe if the dog's a little bit older and its sight's not as good, maybe, you know, maybe the dog really looks different and uh, you know, it's a little more off-putting. Maybe this, maybe the shampoo that was used during the shave smells different and it's confusing the dog. I don't know. Um, it's certainly possible. It's not something that I've seen a lot, but anytime you have these kinds of questions, right, I think it's really important to kind of be introspective and say, well, what are the different variables that could have changed to create the situation? That's a lot of what I do when I answer these questions, right? As I'm reading the scenario, I'm reading the, the different variables that you guys are describing. And I'm just contemplating and pontificating around, you know, what are the possible reasons that this could happen? You know, I, I don't know if I'm right. I'm, this is all virtual. I don't know if I'm, you know, I haven't seen your dog in person. Um, if you want to do something more intimate, of course, virtual sessions are always available. But a lot of what I'm trying to do is create, you know, a, a thesis around a set of different variables that were presented to me, right? And with the knowledge that I have. And um, most of the time, I'd like to think that we're on the right track and we're close to it. But you know, really, the, it's hard to tell for certain without seeing something in person, right? Um, you know what they say, believe half of, or don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see. And that goes for advice that you hear on the internet as well. Uh, all right. Question from Demo. Demon Duo 2. Oh, Demon Duo. Two year old Dutchie. Super engagement until we go into indoor space, like, say, Lowe's. Have been free shaping engagement and working on confidence building. Has no issues, minimum issues when doing sport. Um, I would say that within the context of Lowe's, too stimulating of an environment, right? So maybe you're going into Lowe's too soon, right? And it's putting your dog over a threshold. Of course, Dutchies are very, you know, stimulated dogs. They're high drive. They're hyper aware of a lot of stuff that's going on. So an environment like, like that, right? Especially indoors where you got to think like that dogs have extremely sensitive ears. They pick up on all kinds of frequencies that we can't hear. Inside of Lowe's, you've got people moving, you know, different products around. There's lots of beeping and noises and machinery sometimes. There's lots of people, there's overhead speakers, the floors feel a lot different. There's a lot to consider when taking your dog simply even from like outdoors into an environment. So it's not really, I wouldn't say that this is just an indoor environment. This is like an indoor store, right? Where it's almost like a warehouse where things are reverberating off the walls. There's just a lot of, a lot going on there. It can be highly stimulating for a person to go in there, right? Even, uh, even when I say what I'm going to say next, everyone in their head that's ever been into these home improvement stores is going to have an idea of exactly what I'm talking about, which is even just the smell. As soon as you walk into Lowe's or Home Depot's, depending on your association, there's like a certain smell where you're just like, I'm in a, I'm in a home improvement store right now, a warehouse, right? It just smells like kind of like rubber and there's like a blend of smells in there, right? So, you know, you're, it's highly likely that your dog is just very stimulated by the environment. So maybe you'd want to work on engagement and doing things like right outside of Lowe's first and letting 
um, some of those smells that are like, you know, kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of um, bleeding, if you will, out the door, out the sliding doors, you know, maybe make, let that be recognizable to them. And then maybe work in like the uh, garden department or the, uh, you know, where they have all the shrubbery and, you know, outdoor type of stuff, right? And then slowly work your way indoors, right? And really paying attention to whether or not your dog is going over that point where they're disengaged and too stimulated, right? You want your dog to feel confident in these environments, um, but you don't want them to be like hyper aroused, right? And like confident in the sense where they're just like all over the place, right? And uncontrollable. Um, so it sounds like really the answer here is to take a step back and to work around the environment without necessarily going inside of the environment first, because once you take a step inside, like, you know, it's just putting them way over, right? So how can we take the closest step to getting inside without physically being inside, right? Well, it's probably to work around the perimeter of Lowe's or Home Depot first, and then, you know, slowly test the waters with going in, coming back out, you know, going in for a short period of time, coming back out, and then extending the duration that you're inside, perhaps. Um, that, that would be my recommendation if I were working with this dog and working with you in person. You know, that's the, that's the steps I would take to start, you know, a, getting to a place where you could have that engagement and expectation of, of obedience inside of a, a highly stimulating store like Lowe's. All right. Question from Mallory J-O-N. Not behavior related, but how do I train my dog to pee in a certain area of the yard? I would argue that this is, is that extremely behavior related, right? Because we're conditioning your dog to uh, display a certain behavior, right? Such as peeing or, you know, using the bathroom in a very specific part of the yard. The way that you're going to do this is you're going to take your dog out on a leash. Um, you're going to take your dog out on a leash in the yard and you're going to give them an opportunity to go to the bathroom in the exact place or like the little, you know, specific area that you want them to. If they don't do that, you just bring them inside. And then you try five minutes later, you bring them back out, let them go again, or give them the opportunity to go, and you just keep rinsing and repeating. You don't give them access to the yard, right? So take them out on a leash. If they go, great. You can let them off leash then in the yard, and they can run around and this, that, the other, do whatever they do in the yard. Um, but if they don't go, bring them back in on a leash and don't let them have that opportunity to play in the yard yet, right? So what's going to happen here is you're going to condition your dog to have the belief that, hey, when I go out in the yard, I go to this specific spot to do my business. And then after that, I get to go and do all the other stuff that I want to do. If I don't do that, I go back inside and I come back out and I just do that same thing. So they'll just learn to, you know, over time, right, that will become their expectation. It's no different than a dog that walks in a harness and pulls all the time. And then just its association with a normal walk is that it feels like usually they should be pulling all the time. So think about it in the same way. You want to teach your dog that the backyard, you know, I use the spot and then I go and I do whatever I want, right? Um, that's how I would do it. But definitely taking your dog out on a leash, which can be a little bit challenging for some people because it's an extra step and can be a little more tedious. Got to get your shoes on and all that stuff. But that's the way that you're going to do this, right? Is you're going to take the dog out on a leash. You're going to go to that exact spot or area that you want. You're going to wait for them to go. You know, if they decide not to go, just go back inside and don't give them that yard time yet. They go, pop the leash off, have a good fun time, bring them back in and then rinse and repeat every time you're going out into the yard with them. Uh, I promise you that over the course of two or three weeks, they're going to naturally go to that spot. And then what you can do is to eventually take the leash off. When, they're, when you're taking them out on a leash and they're immediately going in that spot, that's when you can start to take the leash off and like not have to take them all out and just literally just see if they go and do that on their own. If they do, you've done it successfully. So, all righty. These are all the questions I have time to answer today. I got to get ready to go to a lesson here. Um, but appreciate everyone joining and asking some great questions. Happy Monday or whenever it is that you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're following us at Hybrid Canine on Instagram and TikTok. And if you're interested in training and you're in the Raleigh area, definitely go to the website, www.hybridcanine.com 
or if you're not in the area and you need some support, book a virtual session. We've got some of our courses coming out soon that are going to be virtual. We're going to be doing a big um, kind of like group training launch online, like a, like a challenge. So be on the lookout for that. There's going to be some prizes and giveaways, and I'm very excited to share all that with you all. But until next time, remember, dog training is a journey, not a destination, and I'll talk to you next time. Peace.